It comes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger in a crowded room. It's a dream that you to be real. Passing note of the songs. Rolling, rolling in the deep. Let's do it. <laughs> Welcome to the shores. To the shores. I feel like we forgot. Let me take a sip. Last week to notify people that we've changed things up on the shores. Oh yeah, true. For the last three years, we've been recording once a week from mm-hmm. my home studio, mm-hmm. audio only. We are now in. A professional podcast studio. Professional. Yeah. And this, we have a professional guy in the house, that, David, who's so professional. Yes. <laughs> um, but we're producing video now mm-hmm. and using different microphones, so we might sound a little bit different. Uh, and also, the podcast for us has been something of like a sacred ritual mm-hmm. for three years. Yeah. And now everything's different. We're in a different space. We're using different equipment. And I, I kind of felt it last week. Like I didn't feel, usually we sit down on, on Wednesday nights to do the podcast and we just like sink right into that sort of flow state of conversation. And mm-hmm. I struggled a little bit with that last week and we didn't say anything about it. So I wanted to point that out. Um, we also failed to ever say the name of our guest that we have on the podcast. <laughs> we did it. We said his first name. Oh, yeah. Um, so... Check out last week's episode. You can watch it on YouTube or on Spotify now. Mm-hmm. Um, we had our friend James Jackson Leach with us. Uh, had a great conversation with him. Lots of information about Austin mm-hmm. uh, in general. Um, and so much super so fun stuff here, about the his just entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. All the companies started and stuff. That a was, lot about was business. A lot, a lot about Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, so check that out. And um, just know that moving forward, if you ever want to watch, you can on YouTube and Spotify. Yeah. So that's what we're doing now. Super cool. Yeah. So what about I feel like I had another correction. Oh yeah. Maybe not. We can, we can I guess correct just later. To, can correct later. <laughs> I guess just to say, um, bear with us while we get comfortable in mm-hmm. the new location. And, uh, we hope that it's, I, I think it's going to be a big improvement. I'm really jazzed about it. Yeah. I'm really excited to, uh, take this thing to the next level. Cause we've yeah. been, we put a lot of ourselves into this over the last three years mm-hmm. and um, excited to have a new format to share with yeah. people. Oh, it's been so crazy. I, I, when, I, when we put this one out on YouTube for the first time, we have a we have like seven or eight episodes we tried to film and, and I went back to look at how long we've been doing this. Uh, September 24th, I believe, of 2018 is when we started. Mm-hmm. It's the first episode. Yeah, which is so crazy. And for those first two years, we only did three or four episodes a year, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. I think like it was episode 10 when we started our weekly cadence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I'm proud of us. Pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, what should we get into tonight? Well, uh, I think probably like p- that paper you've been kind of working on. Yeah. Uh, Passover and Yism. I think you even mm-hmm. read it to me when we were in uh, uh, in, in Big Ben that one time. Yeah. I think you shared that with me. Maybe. But you've been kind of working on this for, for a while. For a while, yeah. If you've been listening to the podcast um, over the last number of years, you've probably heard me say before that there's been a collection of essays that I've been wanting to write. Mm. I, f- I think I first sort of said that publicly in 2020. <laughs> yeah. And it really was only, I don't know, three months ago that I actually started to do yeah. that. So maybe like two takeaways from that is... Um, if there's something you've been putting off that you want to do, it's not too late. Mm. Just do it. 
Um, and there's don't also, be ashamed. There's also something about building up over time, too. It's, mm-hmm. it's not that you need to come to production immediately. Right. It's something about, I mean, even with our podcast, it's, well, we'll try it and we'll do some here and there. And then after a while, you might find some momentum. And, but it's just about doing the little things first. And I think that's really helpful. You were saying something to me earlier today about that, that, um, you know, at some point you just have to put something out. Mm-hmm. If, if you're so concerned with the quality of something um, that you're not doing anything with it, and mm-hmm. it could be like for me writing, it could be a podcast, it could be uh, something you're improving in your home. I don't know. It could be anything. Mm-hmm. But if you're too perfectionist about it to the point that, I mean, what's that that phrase? The oh, the good is the enemy of the No, the great, perfect, perfect is, the, is the enemy of the, the good. good. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. At some point, something has to be given life. Otherwise it never emerges as real. So you see this in coffee shops a lot too, where, you know, people look at me today and the things that I'm doing with Medici Mm -hmm. and they think, Oh, I can never do that. It's like, well, I've been doing this for 17 years. It's not like you started that. No. uh, And it's like, and I think that's the part that it's hard for people to kind of start something because they're comparing themselves to something that's been refined over a period of time. Right. whenever they started that it did definitely did not look how it looks right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that can be intimidating for people. My wife, Allison, she does a good job with this and, uh, she does a art journaling, um, sort of workshop and she really encourages people. It's like, no, this is not about being an artist. This is about, you know, finding something inside you and putting it out on paper. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter what it looks like. And she has a really good way mm-hmm. of kind of communicating that, that, I think it's very helpful. Sometimes it's just simply about getting something to move from inside to outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And without judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is hard because right now we're surrounded with like Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, with all these sort of figures that have spent so many years doing things. And we compare ourselves to uh, such a broader sphere where, you know, <laughs> 30 mm-hmm. years ago, your, your sphere of who you compared to was, uh, was a lot smaller. So. I mean, I've been feeling that really strongly over the last month and a half. Yeah. Just, I, I've been, you know, uh, the the company I was working for up until January kind of crashed and burned, and mm. um, I've been looking for a new job for a couple of months, and a strange time in the economy to be doing that in the jobs market. All that to say, I've had ample time and opportunity to spend way too much time <laughs> scrolling through Instagram reels and, uh. you know, Twitter and all of that. And I've definitely felt this like dark cloud of negativity Hmm. and it was hard for me to identify it at first. And I think I realized that, oh, you're looking at the best of humanity all day long Hmm. from your, you know, couch. Mm -hmm. At what point do you consciously realize that you're essentially telling yourself all day long that you're shit? You know, you're not producing anything good and you're watching all the things that are being blaring, shouted at you from the sort of perfect representation of everyone else's lives. Mm. I think it's really toxic. And I I think that it took a sustained period of time with not a lot that I had to do Mm -hmm. for me to really see that. Interesting. Um, But yeah, back to this idea of like, just start on something mm-hmm. and you, you mentioned that you can refine it over time and that's actually I think one of the most satisfying things to do is to actually put something make something real mm-hmm. um, 
again, it's like it could be something you're trying to write. It could be a song. It could be a, a picture or a journal entry or a new habit that you're trying to form or whatever. Do it badly. Hmm. Then at least it's outside of you and you can look at it. It can have a name. You can deal with it directly and you can begin to improve it. Hmm because you can see what needs improvement rather than everything just being inside of your head and everything's hypothetical. Mm -hmm. You can't improve something hypothetical. At some point you have to test it out in reality. And then the cycles of refinement are super satisfying because you, you see something and then you do something to it and you either see it get better or see it get worse. At that point it's somehow, it's somewhat objective. So put something shitty out into the world and then be excited to wake up and make it better the next day. That'd be so much fun to find a way to somehow create something around that idea of putting something shitty into the world and like yeah. refining and helping people to, to do that. Um, I, I, I had a friend, um, and I don't know whether to give him credit for this. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know if don't he started <laughs> this. Uh, but I had a friend who started something called Seven and Seven. Oh, yeah, yeah. You remember that? Uh-huh. Uh, it's my friend Aaron Ivey. And again, I don't know if he started that, if it was his idea or not. Um, I think there's a, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them mm-hmm. now. A lot yeah. of different ones, yeah. But the idea was like, so he's a musician as well. And uh, the idea was, a, let's get a bunch of songwriters to be accountable to one another and to write one song a day for seven days mm. and then share it with each other. And it doesn't matter. It's like the yeah. point is not to write a good song. Mm-hmm. The point is not to win a Grammy. The point is not to make an album. Mm-hmm. The point is simply to do something, move something from inside to outside, mm. and then show that to someone else. And it was incredibly fruitful. Mm. And I think it's just it's just having the courage to go, okay, I'm going to detach myself from the output of this. It's okay if it's shit. And I have, uh, I think, two songs that are in my catalog on Spotify now that came oh, really? out of that process. Yeah. That's cool. I was about to ask you that. Yeah. Is anything that? I mean, I think that's the thing is like good stuff gets made when you're not paying attention. Hmm. You know, when you're paying attention to something else, it's like almost accidental. Mm-hmm. It, it's once in a blue moon that you intentionally make something that's, at least in the arts, I think, uh, it's once in a blue moon that you actually intentionally make something good. Mm-hmm. Most of the time you're trying to do something else, trying to learn some new technique or trying to master something uh, adjacent to your craft. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, there's a song. A song mm-hmm. just came out. Or I was just trying to scribble to make my pen work on my pad and I really like the way that looks. That's a painting now. You know, yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, you just hear these stories all over the place. I mean, something we bring up a lot about comedians, something I've learned and I just so respect about is that you work with material out in front of people. That's the only way that you get right. feedback. And they change the jokes by one word or intonation or, you know, kind of play with it a little bit. And it just it's refined over like multiple periods of uh, stand-up, uh, stand-up sessions. Yeah, uh, You know, even even in this kind of area where something I admire Michael Jordan in is going to baseball. Here I am. Here's Michael Jordan, the best at basketball. Right. And he's going to start over in a minor league in baseball. Like that just tells me a lot about that person who can be at the top of that sphere and still go into a beginner mode. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that that kind of attitude is super helpful for us to always remember that there, there are things that we might excel in, but we still need to be able to go into other realms as beginners. And I think there's something that he- that's healthy that walks to help us in the things that we're really great at, you know? Well, we've talked about this a lot before, mm-hmm. that the better you get at something, the smaller the payoff of improvement is. Mm. Because skill is an asymptote. Yeah. Like, as you get better, a 50% gain mm-hmm. is measurably less. <laughs> yeah. So, there's an argument to be made that is... If you have the opportunity to be a beginner at something, that's like a massive dopamine opportunity, Hmm. essentially, because every improvement is going to be astronomical relative Hmm. to where you started. Oh, cool. Yeah. I didn't think of it like that. That's true. Um, I think we've done a really good job of avoiding (laughs) talking about what we (laughs) initially set out to talk about here. Totally. Well, I don't know. You, you kind of just also fascinating. You, you caught me up. It, that was that, all. This is very inspiring because <laughs> you know, I, I kind of even though I've been doing coffee shops for seventeen years, there's a lot of things that uh, I don't know. Kind of still feel a beginner at. Yeah, <laughs> this is kind of reminding me of those things. Well, I would say you are blessed then, <laughs> yeah, to have many places in which you're still a beginner. Well, I think too, just our conversations help me kind of stay kind of grounded in that sort of, mm. you know. You don't know all that you think you know. <laughs> yeah, right. It's kind of fun. So, but yeah. So you're sure. you're right. You you had something that you're you're working on that yeah, we kind of okay. want to so, dive into. To bring this back full circle, uh, I had said that I wanted to write essays three months ago. I started a Substack. Uh, I've talked about that on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing that. I've been writing, and um, I will say, it's been hard. Hmm. I think I've put out actually. Well, maybe this is the point I was making earlier. It's like good things happen by accident when you're doing something else. Mm-hmm. So I've had a lot of um, a lot of things that I've written over the past number of years that I knew I wanted to put out, as well as a bunch of things that I wanted to write that ha- haven't been written yet. Um, so I've been kind of putting the stuff from the past out, and all of that stuff was written sort of by accident. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of po- there's a lot of poetry on there. Most of that poetry, I didn't like sit down and think, I want to write a poem and who, you know, here's a poem. It was more like I was in the middle of journaling and then something poetic came out, mm-hmm. you know, it was an accident. Um, or there was some stuff that I wrote. There's a, a piece that I put on there called She Left on a Saturday. I'm actually really proud of it. It's a really beautiful and um, I think rather heartbreaking piece. It was mm-hmm. something that I wrote while I was trying to process the end of my marriage. Mm-hmm. But again, it was by accident. I wasn't trying to write something. I was trying to do something completely different and this thing came out. And then, uh, there's one piece that I put on there. It's called, we all carry a part of each other's story. Mm-hmm. Kind of a long title. That was the first thing that I actually sat down and tried to write. And it was incredibly difficult and incredibly frustrating Yeah, and in some sense demoralizing. Like at some <laughs> point in the middle of that, I was like, this isn't good. And uh-huh. I just <clears throat> want to stop. Um, so, all that to say, we we are in the middle of uh, what is it? The in between Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and a number of years ago, I wanted to write a an essay about Easter, mm. and so that's what we're talking about. Yeah. That's what we started talking about, <laughs> and we just gave the longest setup in yeah history for talking though. about yeah. <laughs> 
So I thought we would, um, or we thought mm-hmm. we would just kind of talk through that a little bit tonight, yeah. given that it is apropos of the time. And it's great because you got to, guys get to hear this for the first time too. I, I think I, I think you've read this to me before, or, or at least discussed it. We discussed it a little we bit. We discussed but... it. I I wrote a first draft a number of years ago, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to work on finishing that, and I'm going to put that on my Substack uh, before this Easter, so in the next mm-hmm. couple of days. Tonight's Wednesday. So I'm not going to read it. Yeah, yeah. We're just going to talk it through, mm-hmm. and and I'll just start by and, and make this as much of a conversation as possible. This uh, isn't about me sort of telling you what's in my essay. <laughs> um, I I wanted to write it really because I thought it was a, a number of years ago, and, and Easter was coming up, and I just thought about how bizarre Easter as a holiday is. Hmm. And I was sort of mulling that over in my mind and thinking, you know, it's like for every major holiday, generally you have sort of like a culturally celebrated version of it. You could maybe say a secular version of it. So mm-hmm. with Christmas, you have Santa Claus and reindeer and a sleigh and, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, for Halloween, you have trick or treating. But there are generally more sort of um, religious practice underpinnings for these mm-hmm. things. So Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. Halloween is, what is it? All Hallows, All Hallows Eve. Eve yeah. um, and so you have Easter and Easter is, you know, on the one hand, we know it is about the resurrection of Christ, mm-hmm. but on the sort of secularly s- celebrated or practiced version of Easter, you have a bunny Laying eggs. Man-sized bunny <laughs> laying eggs, which are hidden in the yard and contain treasure. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's also, bizarre. Well, it, it's kind of it's kind of adapted to sort of a fertility ritual, you know, ritual aspect of spring, and so that so you kind of see that with a lot of religions how they'll adapt sort of other uh, sort of more like I guess pagan religions that kind of have to do with. Uh, fertility and mm-hmm. spring and, and and then death and you know fall and that kind of stuff so uh, our christmas tree and i think the christmas tree is another fertility thing i, I forget that one now but i well, used to but, know that stuff but the question is like what why is it that for example christmas and halloween nobody bats an eye mm-hmm. you know we're like yeah maybe it's silly maybe it's made up or whatever but it's like hell yeah i'm in <laughs> you know but with easter uh, it's bizarre the explanation for it is nonsensical, hmm. and yet we just sort of do it. What do you mean nonsensical? Like how, how does that? Well, what does a, a man-sized bunny laying eggs have to do with fertility? You know, at least I can make a complicated case for why we would have the idea of Santa Claus. Yeah, he's giving people gifts. The bunny's not even giving people gifts, and if he is, he's hiding them. <laughs> you know, it's just strange. Well, I think probably because like bunnies make to... a lot of make a lot of bunnies so they're very fertile because oh, they hump <laughs> they hump a lot and make a lot of bunnies resurrection of jesus you know what we should have <laughs> well now i feel dumb because i, I used to actually like i because that, that was one thing i studied was like how are I, I looked at at one point was how each all the mixture of these different holidays kind of blend together mm-hmm. and have different layers to them and that was something that was super fast like you know jesus wasn't born in december 26th or whatever you know that was not there, there's a lot more evidence towards that. That would have been other dates, yeah, other dates, yeah. and something like that. So, so it's really fascinating to see like how culturally we blend things into something um, to kind of as a day of representation, right? 
Yeah, I think probably Easter is probably the one that's most because um, Passover and the symbolism between Christ- Judaism and Christianity and where that fits and has always fit in the Jewish calendar is consistent throughout. That's why Christ- Easter is on a different uh, maybe calendar year or whatever, but it mm-hmm. still fits on the you know Friday, Saturday, Sunday kind of uh, in Passover time. It's, it coincides a lot with, so... Anyways, yeah, I'm not saying that there aren't explanations for this stuff. It <laughs> totally. just it just struck me as bizarre, and maybe partly that that's like personal to me because mm-hmm. I do know people who legitimately believed in the Easter Bunny when they were kids, okay, just like too. they believed in Santa. Mm-hmm. For me, even when I was a kid, like I was like, "That's a stupid story." <laughs> really? Yeah, that's awesome. Like, had no buy-in mm-hmm. to that story. But so, anyways, I, I started thinking about that, and then I started thinking about, okay, well, what is Easter actually? Mm-hmm. And I grew up in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say mostly non-denominational, but a little bit in the Baptist church and spent quite a bit of time from high school till probably uh, my early 20s mm-hmm. before I became jaded with that and, and had no interest in continuing with it. Um, and I was thinking about, okay, well, what is Easter? And I thought, okay, here's another sort of anomaly. Like I see Easter culturally as anomalous when compared to other holidays. Hmm. And that was the point I was trying to make. Okay, gotcha. But another anomaly is, well, what do I know about Easter? It is the story of Christ dying and being resurrected. Mm-hmm. And as much time as I've spent in the church, I thought, I have no idea what that means. Hmm. Like, That's well. It's like I understand that it was to redeem the world of its sins, Mm -hmm. but how that would happen, why would the things that happen, like why would it be necessary Mm -hmm. for God to become man and to die and resurrect? Mm -hmm. Like there's dots that aren't connecting. And I never heard that really uh, pondered or considered deeply in the church. Mm -hmm. And I think when I was a kid, I think a concept like that was generally kept separate from much deep thinking. It was just sort of, well, no, this is what happens and you need to believe to be redeemed. Mm-hmm. End of discussion. And I thought, well, that's anomalous. Mm-hmm. What's actually going on here? And so that's kind of the point that my my thinking starts mm-hmm. on that. And you say that's surprising. What, what was What's your experience with this? Well, just more in general that, you know, that we have uh, this this sort of experience of a holiday. So like, I kind of feel like there's a certain different steps of maturity. And sometimes I've seen with uh, Christians in particular and and sometimes just in religion is is there's not a, a kind of a maturing beyond the the story that you tell a, a child, right? you know, and I think it's important that we have stories that we can easily communicate to children about simple ideas. Like you're not going to go explain Nietzsche to a, 
an eight-year-old. You know, it's like, <laughs> there's certain things that are acceptable for that age group. Is and it, thus says that Zarathustra. <laughs> yeah, that's not really a, yeah. a lullaby. Yeah, I think Elon nighttime. Musk talks about like, you know, reading uh, uh, existentialist philosophers and, you know, in high school can really mess you up. Yeah. But then as an older person, you're like, oh, okay, no, I understand the context of all that right. stuff. You know, you can understand right. some of the nihilism, some of the, you know. Well, and I actually think that's why the story of Easter or the story of the resurrection has been sort of turned into a children's story. Mm -hmm. It's helpful. Well, but not just for children. Mm -hmm. It's also helpful for adults because when I really started to think about it, it is a deep, gnarly, disturbing story. Hmm. It's nasty. Yeah. It's not something... You know, and then that seems strange to me too. It's like when I really think about it, it's a nasty story. Like if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, that's like the closest depiction to the actual story that I've seen. And yet, how do we represent Easter in culture? You know, it's bunnies, it's chocolates, chicks, pastel colors, bright shiny yay. Mm-hmm. Everybody's wearing their finest Sunday outfit. You know, it's like all sunshine. And, and there's nothing about that story that's sunshine mm. except for the end. But then no one ever explains why the end is sunshine. Well, you know, because in that in that whole story, I think that's the part that. So it, sometimes people will say cliche wise is like the Catholic Church focuses on the death of Jesus, and the Protestant Church focuses mostly on the resurrection of Jesus, mm-hmm. and and they're really like there's this whole idea that in both of those that kind of give you a lot of insight into humanity. That's really. Uh, I think super, super important. And it's, it's so compact into that sort of, you know, week of Palm Sunday, here he is being celebrated coming into this, this city. And by the end of the week, he's being crucified on a cross Mm -hmm. and then, you know, being resurrected. Like there's so much information compacted in a week that it's, it's almost hard to, uh, to sort of unravel. And I think that's something that you, you see elements of this in, and just in our history and culture and media too, like at one point someone's being celebrated and then all, and then the next moment they're being crucified mm. and very few actually resurrect, you know, very few can come back from that sort of, uh, being praised and then, and then being executed and then, you know, coming back and, um, becoming something else and something new, you know, I kind of think of like with council, council culture or something like that, where, you know, somebody that steps out of line just a little bit or a lot. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there's a whole <laughs> you know, spectrum here, but, um, you know, how do you come back to that? How do you, how do you become reborn from something like that? Or is that, or is that something that hangs over your head for the rest of your life? Like, no, no, you can't come back because of this thing back here. And so you kind of see that in this whole story too, of like, sort of, it's like, no, there is forgiveness and you can resurrect. You can come back into a new something new you know so i think there's so many stories to be told out of that compression of one week you know that's a really interesting point there are a lot of old stories whether biblical or even like old um child's tales like hansel Mm -hmm. and gretel or um i was blanking on there's another one i was thinking of that they are so abstracted so condensed over telling and retelling and retelling and mm-hmm. recounting over time, over hundreds, thousands of years, that they do contain, like if you really ponder them and consider them, they can sort of explode out into the highest 
uh, reaching envelope. Mm-hmm. Like they can start to contain everything. Well, sort of like because they they have they they're so masterful in the archetypes archetypes mm-hmm. and and I think the stories that are very masterful in in encompassing the archetypes and communicating them in such a way that you know and I think that's something you see specifically like you know like Moses what does he represent not only the the the, the story but he also represents something as a, as a figure in this story and uh, you know and you have you know all the way up to you know Jesus and what he represents and what he symbolizes in this story but then you start looking at the arc of of maybe your lifetime and the things that you experience you know you know because we always hear about it you know oh I'm going through a desert time well the reason why we say that is because it's referring to this whole idea of you know specifically and, and this is in other cultures too but you know Moses and the Israelites going through the desert for 40 years. You know, there's something about, there's a cleansing. Mm. And so we use these metaphors and we don't really understand. And they're little tiny, tiny sound bites, but they actually refer to a lot of really deep stories. And I think, I think that as you're bringing this up with the whole, you know, Easter story, it's starting to kind of, it's making me really want to unpack more of what, what is consist what consist what kind of stories are, con, are contained in that like week long tale. Well, you, you said a word that, made everything make sense to me that these stories contain archetypes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think um, the idea of archetypes and specifically reading uh, Eric Neumann's mm. book, The Origins and History of Consciousness, changed my life in the way that I see things. And I think there's an important point to be made, which is that an archetype is not just like an appealing character. Mm. If you have, if an archetype shows up in any given story, it's because that's the part of repeated previous stories that has resonated. Mm-hmm. So when you look at a book, like we're talking about Easter, so let's take the Bible, mm-hmm. that has been around for thousands of years, and then you think about, well, how has it been around for thousands of years? Like I, we often forget that it was only. 40 years ago that we started having anything digital in our lives mm. for all of the previous thousands of years. And it was only like, what, 300 years ago that we had the printing press, printing press yeah. 400 years ago Yeah, for thousands of years before that, mm-hmm. everything was copied down by hand or told by mouth. And so when you have stories like the stories that are in the Bible, they, they are comprised of what people find interesting and what people find worth remembering. And I think an archetype is exactly that. It is something that through the generations, people have found worth remembering and repeating. And why, and and so anytime you run across an archetype, I think you have to ask, well, what is in this piece of content, Mm. in this story that has been worth remembering for so long? Because when you see it show up, you might see it in a new piece of writing or a modern piece of, of uh, art or film or whatever. But the reason you find it meaningful is in large part because it's resonating with something that's been carried down through generations. Mm-hmm. And so you look at a story like Easter, and I think I, I wanted to write about it because I just found it fascinating. Like if you were setting out to write a story about God redeeming the world, you wouldn't write it that way. <laughs> Totally. (laughs) Like, when you really think about it, the story 
of Christ is one of the most tragic stories that's ever been told. He, as you said, is celebrated as a king, Mm -hmm. is betrayed by a friend, friend, is falsely accused and convicted, Mm -hmm. is mutilated. Also abandoned by his other friends. Abandoned by his other friends, Mm -hmm. then mutilated and humiliated, and then subjected to what is essentially slow motion torture to the death. Mm-hmm. It's not only everything, it's not only the worst way you can die, um, crucifixion, which I want to take a second and talk about that. But before the crucifixion, he goes through every social ill, essentially archetypally that mm-hmm. you could go through. And why would you write it that way? What does that have to do with redemption? Yeah. And that's just the be- that's just the first part. That's just the death part. Mm-hmm. But let's take a second on the crucifixion because I was really thinking about about this the other day. Um, I don't think that modern church or modern culture really ever takes the time to explain how horrifically, torturously brutal that way of death is. It's, I think, the cruelest way to kill someone. It's hard to think of a crueler way to kill someone than that. Yeah, it's like asphyxiating on your own, like, was it, uh, I forgot how it was. Yeah, yeah so essentially the idea is you take a, a beam about the length of a man mm-hmm. and you stretch his arms out along the beam and then take a nail and put it through the wrist bones just below the hand mm-hmm. in each one. Then you hoist that beam up on top of another beam that's perpendicular, already wedged in the ground. And so now he's, this man is hanging from his wrists, which are nailed to the beam. And that's painful, obviously, but you don't die from your wrist wounds. What happens is that when you're hanging that way, the way that your arms are pulling up on your chest, you can't expand your lungs to get Mm -hmm. a breath. And so you have to pull yourself up on those nails in order to take a breath. And the I, the nail in the feet, I don't know how historical that is, mm-hmm. but if it is, that nail is there to help you pull mercy. yourself up. Uh-huh. Or yeah, to prolong, maybe. Well, yeah. Is it mercy or is it to prolong? Because there's another component of this kind of death, which is it's designed to be on public display. Mm-hmm. So the modern conception we have of a cross is like a lowercase t, mm-hmm. the actual functional part of that death mechanism was more like a capital T. Yeah. The idea of a part sticking up above the horizontal beam, um, my understanding is that, that the only reason we have an idea of that visually is that you would they would put a sign up on top that would have the victim's name and <coughs> uh, crimes committed. Yeah. So it was meant to be the equivalent of a head on a pike. Like, we're showing this off to those who should be warned of what this person did. But that person would spend several days hanging that way, Mm -hmm. trying desperately to breathe, and eventually asphyxiate after a number of days um, in complete agony and complete pain, all on public display. It's terribly brutal. Well, also, I mean... Like, what is the benefit 
there's something about the exercise of government to be able to put that on display in order to sort of create a um, an example of not to step out of line. You know, you know. I, I, I'm also just thinking of like Spartacus, where like all you know, just this was in the movie, but you know, there's all these guys on crosses all mm-hmm. the way to Rome, mm-hmm. and basically it's just saying, you know, do not defy us Mm -hmm. or else this is where you'll be right and obviously this is a movie like i am spartacus i am spartacus and all (laughs) these guys got hung on a cross (laughs) and but there's something about that sort of display of power that you know not only can we take your life from you we can make it horrible horrific you know and right so it's just interesting too because i mean even in the story of and make you suffer mm -hmm. not only physically but socially while Mm -hmm. we do it yeah because was it um you know even leading up to this you you kind of have this whole story of you know Pharisees coming to Jesus and proposing these questions he would answer them forthrightly and there's there always this kind of dialogue back and forth and you kind of see this sort of jealousy or wanting to keep their positions of power and Jesus was a sort of a in the way of them being able to preserve their power. Um, but then again, they're in a system where they have to appeal to Rome in order to get these things done. And so they appeal to, uh, um, to the governing authorities in order to have Jesus crucified in the most horrible way. You know, it's like, why didn't they just take him out back and beat the shit out of him and have him done with him? You know, it's like, right. so that th- there's all these like questions you have in this, but, but then you kind of see that there, the, the power structures that, that are kind of, um, that people are, are afraid to, um, sort of, oh shoot, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Well, maybe I'll take that and segue with it a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, it wasn't, this is another really interesting part of the story is it wasn't exactly Pontius Pilate who wanted to kill Jesus. No. Mm -mm. It was the mob. Yeah. It was the crowd. It was the people. I mean, he was even reluctant about it. Yeah. Specifically the elders of the, of the synagogue. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want this to be a theological discussion. <laughs> I want this to be conceptual because I, yeah. I, I, the, the whole idea of Easter is strange to me. Mm-hmm. And this story of Jesus and the death and resurrection is strange. And after really thinking about it, I think there's some pieces to that story that aren't talked about. So Mm -hmm. you say the Catholic church focuses on the death, the Protestant church focuses on the resurrection. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking. Right. But something that no one ever talks about is, uh, how would I put this? It wasn't that he died or even that he rose. I mean, it is those things, but it's, we killed him. Hmm. Like if you think about this conceptually yeah, from there is, there is God mm-hmm. and whether you believe in God or not, just t- put that question aside for the moment mm-hmm. and say, well, if there is a God, what is this story telling us? Mm-hmm. And in that context, there is God and then there is man. Mm-hmm. God comes to earth. So man has this question, let's say, is there a God? Does is God real? Mm-hmm. And in response, God comes and says, here I am. Yes, I am real. And what does man do? He hangs a bump on a cross. Humiliates him, mutilates him, betrays him, abandons him, 
subjects him to the highest, most brutal form of torture conceived of through history. That's astounding. Mm -hmm. And as I thought about that, I thought that's got to be important. Otherwise, it wouldn't have stayed in the story. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's really important that uh, that you said, like, we killed him. Because I think there's something essential that we have to recognize in ourselves. Like, we are, we are, if you can't see that aspect of you, that you are the one who crucified Jesus mm-hmm. in this in this sense, then you don't know yourself very well. Because, again, yeah. you know, it's like you hear different people's take on this as far as like, oh, it was the Jews' fault or it was the Romans' fault or it's mm-hmm. it like, it like, no, no. They symbolize something that's inside of us. Yeah, I mean, I would appeal to Solzhenitsyn's mm. realization when trying to figure out what went wrong in the Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah. And he wrote tomes about it mm-hmm. and finally concluded that he had to consider how he was complicit. And ultimately, his famous line is, the line between good and evil is drawn straight through the heart of every man. Mm -hmm. And so there's this, let me see if I can make sense of this. So if I I take for granted that there is a question of whether or not God is real, Mm -hmm. and maybe you've answered that for yourself. Maybe you say, well, I'm a Christian, I believe God is real, or I'm an atheist, I think it's nonsense bullshit. Doesn't matter. If there's any thing in you and I think essentially most of the pursuit of humanity is ultimately trying to answer that question Mm -hmm. is there such a thing as a God is God real all other questions are nested within that suspicion Mm. and okay well if he is real then I'm separated from him and what separates me it's strange to me that the idea of Christ seems like a singular figure in history and among religions Mm -hmm. and correct me here in ways that I know you know to correct me but um, there aren't other characters that I can think of who are presented as perfect like in any story anywhere no and somehow we don't that doesn't surprise us like oh no Christ Christ was the perfect man yeah because I mean you know even when you have the Greek gods it's like there's there was a sort of fallibility so it's almost you know maybe even hubris uh, hubris of Christianity and sort of like you know and again you you start getting into questions of like well how can a God be man and is he perfect does he does he stub his toe and there's all these weird questions that start to kind of like kind of come around this idea for the moment i just want to focus on the fact that he's the only character in any of any of all of storytelling Mm -hmm. which is presented as perfect that's strange in and of itself yeah the fact that that is the case means that we all inherently know that we are not perfect Mm -hmm. so much so that we don't even try to write stories in which characters are perfect yeah it's not interesting Mm -hmm. we're not perfect we oh wow well, okay I, I see where we're going with it there's just there's something really fascinating with this is like how can you even make a story of a perfect like person coming to the world as God 
because you would you would imagine you I think I'm kind of connecting something like you'd almost write that story as sort of like oh wow God came down here and he said hey guys look at all these things and we go oh my gosh you're so right and then you everyone like <laughs> everyone starts holding hands and singing and kumbaya, kumbaya. you yeah. know it's like but here's a story of like God coming and we kill him you know it's like oh yeah. you know or we're fighting him at every sort of and it, but that but the, I think that's more of like more representative of the human condition is like we're always fighting. You know, whether it, you know, I, I just think in my own life, whether it's, it was my parents or, um, you know, ways I thought things should be and later learned that they were different than what I thought. Yeah. And there's something about something you and I talk about how reality always snaps back. It's like no matter how much you want to believe something is different, at some point reality is going to, you know, get in your face and say, no, that's not how it is. Like, you know, you can't jump into the front of a car and say, you're not going to hurt me. The car is going to run you over. You know, there's certain things that's just true. And I think something about this, I think kind of represents that idea of, of there's something, there's something in all of us that, that if God did come, we would probably kill him. If, if we're faced with a truth that was, was so revealing of our inner, of our inner being, that that's something that you'd either react by wanting to kill him or submitting. Hmm. Maybe that's too, that's yeah, too extreme. So, no, I don't think it's extreme. <laughs> and this is exactly where I'm trying to go. Okay, gotcha. Because there is a problem. There's a problem with existence. Mm-hmm. And that problem is you have the ability to imagine things as better than they are. And why, why is that? Mm-hmm. You, you almost can't help it. Like, what if I were stronger? What if I didn't succumb to sickness? What if my relationships were more, more fulfilling? Mm. What if I had more money? What if I had less problems? What if I had more responsibility? What if I was smarter? What if I learned more? What if I actually started that business I've been thinking about or wrote down or actually wrote the essay I imagined to write or the song I imagined to sing or the podcast that I wanted to start? Did I say that one already? <laughs> um, we scoach me a little bit. Yeah. Well. Um, we, are, we are hounded by thoughts like these. And what percentage of those things that we imagine doing does... In, any one of us actually do. So there's this this vast space between who we know we could be and who we are. And I love, um, because I want to bring this back to the idea of redemption. Well, and the question is redemption from what? Mm -hmm. Redemption from sin. And I think the the childhood idea of what sin is, is something like... (laughs) Well, you you know, you listened to Nine Inch Nails on CD, and so we probably have to have a CD burning ceremony to, you know, whatever. Or like, yeah. Um, or you were not. But nice I think to your I think sin is more more properly characterized with this um, term. What is it? Hamartia, which is a like Greek a Greek archery term, oh, yeah. which means to miss the mark, mm-hmm. which means you're attempting to do something that has a goal and a target, mm-hmm. and you miss. It isn't malevolence necessarily it's it's failure to be who you were supposed to be 
that's sin. That's to miss the mark. And go ahead. Yeah, I'm just more because like, I think one confusing thing is like, what does it mean to be who you're supposed to be? I think that's something that that can be kind of a little bit confusing because it, it kind of sounds like there's like 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 there's a. Let me replace that then. Yeah, because okay. I was trying to set that up, and I I said to be who you could be. Could be okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Rather than supposed to. Gotcha, gotcha. Sorry. So I'll, I'll leave intent out of it, at least mm-hmm. for the moment. Now, I would say that there are, you know, you've heard the term, there are sins of omission and sins of commission. Mm-hmm. And maybe in this framework, a sin of omission is like, well, I had a song to write and I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Or I could have told my wife what I really thought about what she was doing, but I didn't because I just didn't want it to be hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew the truth, but I didn't speak it. And there's also sins of commission, which could be more properly characterized as malevolence. Like the great atrocities of the 20th century are a great example. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't a sin of omission that caused the Germans to gas 6 million people. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a sin of omission that caused the Soviets to starve 40 million people, mm-hmm. right? And I think actually those sins of commission are a response to the disappointment and anger that we feel that we aren't who we know we could be. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me that this is exactly the story, the first story of real men in the Bible, which mm-hmm. is Cain and Abel. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's what you're saying. Cain's sin of commission, the first murder, mm-hmm. was revenge. And Cain's revenge wasn't on Abel. It was on himself because he wasn't who he knew he could be. Hmm. And he saw Abel and he saw who he could be, but he wasn't that. So he took revenge on himself by killing his brother. Oh, let's see. And so... In this story of Christ and Easter, mm-hmm. whatever you make of it, truth or not, I think it's a, an interesting construct through which to think about things. If the question exists, is God real? The next question is, well, I'm not him, and what's keeping me from being him? This idea of sin. Mm-hmm. Then the next question is, well, how deep does sin go? Is it that I'm just not who I could be, or is it that I'm actively taking revenge on who I could be and making something else worse hmm. and how much worse, you know, people murder people, other people out of hate, but they also murder other people out of love, mm-hmm. jealousy, people murder strangers, but they also murder their spouses. And if you look at humanity as a whole, and again, take this idea of God comes to man and says, here I am here, I'm real. And if you take it for granted that mankind is sinful, then the next question is, well, how sinful? Hmm. And if Christ, if the idea of Christ in the death and resurrection is to redeem the world, well, like, how much are you re- is God needing to redeem? And the ultimate question for or the ultimate answer, I guess, to the question, well, how deep does sin go? To what extent will you take your revenge? Will you kill your family? 
Will you kill your community? Will you kill your country? Will you kill God himself? You're killing me, man. You've, you've got me going so many different directions right now. Like, cause there's, there's this part, like, cause I, I think, you know, to really understand, I think what you're saying is like, you really have to look at this more through the archetypes of, of how these things exist in, in us yeah. and, and how we've acted these things out throughout history. You know, these stories are telling something that's how us humans have acted these things out over thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, that's the part that as you're, as you're like laying out this whole story that I'm really starting to, to see how we, how we've really struggled, struggled with this is when we start seeing how that we are deficient of who we could be because anybody who's in a relationship knows that, that they are lacking in some way, you know, and again, and there's certain, there's a certain part where you are asking for your spouse or your friend or whatever to give you grace or to forgive you or Mm -hmm. to give Mm you room to maybe one day become that person or or get closer to that person. And so, or you can kind of go the other way where you're, you're more vengeful in that, you know, fuck you. I, I'm going to be who I want to be and how I want to be. And I don't care what any of you think. And there's that, that being a little bit more extreme, but there's, there's a sort of a spectrum of those sort of like, I want to achieve the person to be, to be the person I think I could be. And that's like that. And you'll never reach that goal technically. But, and again, that's the idea of heaven is you reach the goal, but that's, that's sort of thing. But in, in reality, in the, in the world in which you live, you're never actually going to be everything that you could be. However, the other places is, is so horrific that if you fight against that pursuit to be who you could be, that actually leads you into a place of almost vengeful or a cane type place where yeah. you take vengeance against that, who you could be. And like you hear people say like, fuck you. I didn't ask to be born. You know, it's mm. like, <laughs> what do you do with that? Like that's, 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 that's not the response you have to, to life and to, um, kind of what you, uh, what you actually, what you could be. Cause then that's, that's something that you don't have anything at that point. Mm. Yeah. And also in this point, I always, Nietzsche always kind of starts to kind of come into the back of my head as far as like, you know, the death of God is like, now what do we do? Mm. And I think there's something in that, that is represented is like, if you kill God, if you kill the person who you could be, and there's something you're measuring that against, because when you say I could be, there's something to be measured, something to aim at and to miss. Mm-hmm. And, and but I think if you that's, kill the target, you kill a target. Like if you kill God, if you kill the target, then what do you have the bow and arrow for? Yeah. What are you, what are you aiming at? Because that's the whole idea behind God is like, you're aiming at something and the ideal, the ideal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then when there's an ideal that you're not living up to, like Jordan Peterson likes to say that the moment you have an ideal, you also have a judge. True. Yeah. The ideal judges you because it's Mm -hmm. different than you. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that you're measured against. And if you kill 
the thing you're measured against, then you can't be measured at all. And then what? That's nihilism. That's loss. Mm-hmm. That's dissociation. You're no longer essentially functionally human at that point because it is the it is the creative act toward what could be that I think constitute constitutes what it means to be human. Mm. So I do I, I do want to try to tie up a couple of loose ends from these thoughts about Easter. Given the question, I think we sort of ended on there for a second, which is, well, how how deep does sin go? And if the idea is that that story is about God offering redemption to man, then the question from man to God should be something like, well, you're going to redeem me from my sin. How much sin? I don't even know what I'm capable of. Mm-hmm. How much? And it isn't enough for God to say Oh, all of it. What do you mean all of it? Like, I don't even know the depths of my own heart. I don't know how deep that goes. How can I trust redemption where I don't know what the bottom is? And essentially, the story of Easter, the story of Christ, is the bottom. Could there be anything more sinful than killing God himself? Killing the ideal. That's what we're talking about. Can you miss the mark any more than destroying the target and having nothing to shoot at? Hmm. Now everything is a sin. Everything is a miss. There's nothing to aim at. And you might be able to propose conceptually some idea like, oh, redemption of all sin. But how do I know that I would even do it. I mean, we all like to think, well, we would never have participated in Mm. World War II Nazi guards. We would never have participated in the Soviet Union uh, gulags. We never would have participated in the Red Guard Maoist China. We never would have, you know, we think we're different, (laughs) right? So God basically says, okay, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to come and tell you I'm real and I know exactly what you're going to do. And I'm going to let you do it so that you know where the bottom is and you know that I will redeem all of it. Hmm. And then for a long time I thought, okay, the story of Christ is presented as he's the sacrificial lamb. The idea that it was the sacrifice in which the redemption occurred. But there's a problem with that. Because if you can kill God, he isn't really a God. Because what kind of God can be killed by a mortal? Yeah. So he makes himself man. He makes himself part of himself man. And, you know, this is sort of leaving aside complicated subjects like the <laughs> Holy Trinity or whatever. But, okay, God becomes man we kill him. And then he says, okay, got that out of your system? Hmm. I'm back. Now you know what you're capable of. Now you know what I'm offering you. 
And it just occurred to me that this deep and nasty story, it had to be the most tragic story of all time, and it had to be at the hands of man. Because if it wasn't, man would not know Mm -hmm. what he was capable of in the negative to know what redemption even meant. And it seems like there's an element of that story conceptually in which the full man is fully revealed and God is fully revealed. All of the Old Testament, God is presented as symbols, a burning bush, the back of a shoulder, you know, mm-hmm. something. Now here he is, God, flesh and blood. Now here is man, designer of suffering. And now what? God says, I beat it. Mm -hmm. And I rose. And that's the sunshine at the end of the story. That's the moral. And I don't know if that, like, when I think about it that way, I think, well, if you are struggling with the question of, is there a God? I cannot think of a more compelling answer to that question than the story of the death and resurrection of Christ. Hmm. But it only occurred to me three years ago. And I just wonder, why does Christendom, granted I haven't been in that that for 20 years, but Mm -hmm. why do they not take that story more seriously? It's an astounding story. Man, I, I hate to kind of take away from the, the gravitas of what, what you're talking about, but it it does make sense to me in a way because when you almost symbolize something too far away from the the blood, sweat, and tears of it, almost like the evolutionary aspect of what it means to be human and what we're capable of. And, you know, even just this whole profound mystery of were these animals, but at the same time we have some, some, something that's different. There's a consciousness that we have and we're able to communicate and discuss and come to the shores mm-hmm. <laughs> and, 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 realize that we fall short of something and we, we all know, we don't know what we fall short of. And, and I think that's something that where, when we, we look at that and you look out, you know, through, through history and mankind struggle with that idea of like, I am falling short of something and this sort of discovery. And then, you know, you see that sort of compression of time that I think in, you know, you see with the time of Adam to the time of Abraham, like that compression of time covers so much of that growth of humanity over probably millions of years of, of struggling with those sort of questions and then coming to this place of like recognizing there's something more, like I could be more, there's something out there. And, and that sort of, I think that kind of contributes to our awareness and consciousness and has just evolutionary speaking, just sort of, added to that um, differentiation from from just regular animals and stuff. 
but I think that's, I mean, I, I kind of went too far on a, on, a, on a tangent there, but I think there's something that we, we do have to recognize that there's, there's something that we do fall short of and we can't explain that. And sometimes mm-hmm. we try to mask over that and we try to, to maybe even distract ourselves with things, but that that's always sitting in the back of our, our, our consciousness. And I think that's where, you know, stories like this unlock that part of us because it's like, even though if you, if you're distracted by all the things then you're going to just follow kind of whatever's in front of you. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Well, and maybe that's the whole impetus for talking about this is I feel like traditionally the story, this story, the story of Easter has not unlocked that for me. Hmm. Like it hasn't made me aware of my own consciousness, Hmm. my own creative capacity, my own potential. And I think that's the point of the story. Hmm. Are you saying it hasn't unlocked it now or just like, like whenever three years ago when that kind of made more sense to you, it felt like up until it made more sense. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And then it seems to me like the most hallelujah story that there is. It's like, Mm. Oh no, you, you could be who you could be. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, you will be. I don't know. It's such a big concept. I, my, I'm, my mind's getting tired from even just trying to <laughs> no, I relate really, my thoughts on it. I really love this. I mean, I, I'm, I feel like just like stumbling around this area, because like there's there's certain things I can I can definitely like kind of pin down. Is like one is you know the idea that there's somebody I there's somebody that I could be that I know I'm not. Like to me, that's pretty certain. Um, and then I've also seen times in my life where. I just don't care. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't care what things could be. I just don't care. (laughs) We are human after all. We need to sleep. (laughs) Totally. Well, I mean, you know, you see that too with other give up sometimes Mm -hmm. or you see people that are actually accomplishing something and there's that jealousy, Mm -hmm. you know, there's something that, well, and that's a valid response to jealousy too, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm just not going to care for a bit. Mm Mm-hmm. It's too hard to engage in because I'm not good yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm too upset by seeing people who are good. Yeah. Which is, that's kind of the social media effect. Mm-hmm. You're just seeing people who are good constantly. Mm-hmm. When really you just need to sit down and be a beginner. Mm-hmm. Sit down and revel in the wonder of learning. It's an incredible experience. It's much more exciting to learn than it is to perform. Mm. Well, I think the other part that that's very certain to me too is like, especially when you said like, like we killed Jesus, we killed God and Nietzsche talking about, you know, God is dead. I think there's something very important in that part to, to, to see and recognize in me. And like, I want to, there's a part of me that wants to kill that ideal Mm -hmm. and it wants to kill the, like the, the mark because I know that if I aim at this mark, I'm going to fail. To and some degree. To some degree. And so I don't want any... Because you are not God. I'm not God. And I don't want any sort of, anything to 
make that apparent to me. Right. Because that will make me feel bad. You'd rather <laughs> you'd rather remain ignorant. Or everything's subjective and it doesn't really matter. Everyone thinks whatever they want to. Truth is arbitrary and so then it doesn't matter because there is no real mark and so I don't feel bad because I'm not measuring myself to anything. Even mm-hmm. if I'm measuring myself to something that's not, you know, uh not close to what actually is, you know, it's well, like any sort of measurement at all. <laughs> in classic form, <laughs> I want to put a pin in this and pick it back up because mm. I, I want to now talk yeah. about modern culture and oh, gotcha. measurement in general mm-hmm. and how we're handling that situation. But I think we ought to wrap this one. Yeah, we're all over the place with this one. <laughs> this is fun. Well, kind of I in one it. place. No, yeah, but true, that true. one place is a topic which... yeah explodes into mm-hmm. all topics and those are those are good topics well i mean whether you're religious or not exactly is there anything that you want to kind of conclude with i mean i think i think what you brought i mean you definitely made me think about a lot of stuff and like opened up a lot of things i'm really excited to dig into some more so hmm. i don't have anything particularly profound or inspiring to say uh, at the just end say here. something really profound please <laughs> As my island of knowledge expands. <laughs> so too to the shores of my ignorance. <laughs> right. And he is risen. All right. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Love you guys. Love you out there. Thanks yeah. for listening and Definitely. watching. Yeah. Watch on Spotify. I'm going to point to you. You too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Love y'all. Good night.